times um, over the years. Um, you'll have to forgive me while I try to get my earlobe in position here. Um, I think these things work a little bit better if you have detached earlobes, but I'm not one of those people, so here we are. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's good to see you guys. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'm glad you guys have made it back uh, to Atlanta if you were traveling um, or through the busyness of the holidays. As we, uh, before we read our passage this morning, uh, which we're going to be in John chapter 15, I want to ask a couple of questions. And the first question is this. How would you describe your life? How would you describe your life? What marks your life? Is it marked by anxiety or rest, hope or fear, trust or doubt, busyness or steadiness? What marks your life? And maybe a little bit more pointedly to this text, what marks your spiritual life? Is it marked by guilt or grace? fear or joy, excitement or disappointment. Uh, Our passage today comes in the context of a larger passage, and I'm going to try to resist the temptation of every guest preacher, which is to preach three sermons in one sermon, an entire book in one sermon, because you don't get to see everybody all the time um, when you're just dropping in. And so I'm just going to hone in to a couple of verses from John chapter 15. And the larger context is the context of Jesus' I am sayings and this particular I am saying that I am the vine and you, my people, are the branches and my Father is the vine dresser. And if I was doing two sermons, uh, which I'm not going to, um, today's sermon would be living in love and next, the next sermon from this passage would be living out love. So today we're just going to be focusing in on living in love. And in our passage today, Jesus tells his disciples what he desires their lives to be marked by and how to move toward the thing that he wants our lives to be marked by. And I'm going to read actually two translations of this um, this morning. We're going to start with John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now I'm going to read also a translation of this from the message. The message is a looser translation that is less literal. Um, But sometimes it's helpful to have big ideas communicated. And so I'm going to read this same passage again from the message as well. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my Father's commands, and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that your joy might be, that my joy might be your joy, and your joy wholly mature. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what marks your life? What marks your spiritual life, and what does Jesus want for us? He makes it clear in this passage that what he wants for us ultimately is joy. He wants his joy to be in 
us and to be made complete or full or overflowing. And sometimes we do experience joy in the Christian life, but very often we do not. And sometimes that is especially true in our spiritual lives. Why? And how do we move towards this joy that Jesus wants for us? Well, to get at the answer to this question, I think we have to look at how you and I evaluate our spiritual health and how we respond to our evaluation. How do you evaluate your spiritual life? And as Christians, what we mean by this idea of evaluating spiritual life is the health of our relationship with God and following Him. And sometimes when we answer this question of how our spiritual life is going, it's simply based on how we're feeling on a given day. If we feel good, then we feel close to God. And if we feel um, a little cool or, or uh, just a little off, then, then we feel distant from God, and maybe it sends us into a bit of an existential crisis, especially if you're an Enneagram 4 like I am. And I find that even those feelings are usually based off of whether we are doing what we are supposed to be doing or, or whether we think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing or whether we're not doing what we aren't supposed to be doing. Um, many of you uh, know, because I've been with you guys a few times before, that um, I work as a, as a pastor um, on campus at Georgia Tech uh, with a campus ministry called RUF. And what I hear most often as a pastor in terms of how people uh, evaluate um, their own spiritual lives and what I even see in my own life is that our metrics for spiritual health most often are, one, how often we pray or read our Bible, and two, how long it's been since we committed the sin that we most often struggle with or feel most guilty about. And if we've read the Bible recently or we've prayed before the day gets going, thumbs up, we're doing well. And if it's been a couple weeks since we've fallen into lust or cynicism or comparison or envy or raising our voice at our kids or a significant other, then we're doing okay. We feel okay spiritually because we've done something good and haven't done something bad. But when we do not do those good things, when our spiritual disciplines fall off the rails, or when we do the bad things that we feel most guilty about, when we've fallen into lust or comparison or impatience or passive aggressiveness, or we begin to doubt God's goodness, we feel like we are doing terribly spiritually. And we feel far from God. And how do we respond to these evaluations? Well, oftentimes we either feel demotivated or we feel extra motivated. We feel demotivated and at a loss and maybe even begin to question our faith and our standing with God, or we feel extra motivated, and especially this is probably true as we start a new year, right? And everybody's like trying to get their fresh gumption going, right? This year is going to be the year. 2020, see ya. 2021, see ya. But 2022, come on now. I'm going to do all the good things. I'm going to read my Bible in a year. I'm going to read it when I get up in the morning. I'm going to pray before I start my day, before the kids wake up, or before I head to work, or before I open up my laptop to stick at home all day to work. 
I'm going to say hi without passive aggressiveness to my coworker or my neighbor who has the really annoying lawn. And we make commitments to not do the bad things. Okay, I can't look at porn. I can't compare myself to the person who seems really smart or beautiful. I'll unplug my TV for the week so that I stop vegging out so much. This year, this week, today is going to be different, and I will do better, and then I can know that I'm spiritually healthy. But then when we find that we follow those old, well-worn paths, doing the things that we wish we didn't do and not doing the things that we wish we did, what marks your life? Anger? Disappointment? Anxiety? Fear? anguish. If you grew up around Christianity and you've not only experienced this terrible cycle, but, but you might have effectively been told that you are supposed to live out this cycle. If that's the case for you, then I suspect you're already beginning to wonder if this is what you really want, or if in your life you've begun to decide it's not what you want. Some of you hate this cycle, but you are desperately afraid that if you get off of this treadmill, then your whole life will fall apart. And some of you are here this morning or tuning in this morning, and you didn't grow up in religious circles, and you're like, what you just described is exactly why I don't want to be religious, because that sounds terrible. And you would be right. It's soul-sucking. It's rigid. It's enslaving. But what does Jesus want for us? What does he want our lives to be marked by? Joy. And for us to share in his joy. And for our joy to be made full or complete or wholly mature. And doesn't that sound better? What if when someone asked how you were doing spiritually, you said, you know, I've got a lot of ups and downs, but overall I have joy and I'm so grateful. But how? How do we get there? Because it's certainly true that Jesus calls us to keep his commandments. He's said as much in this very passage that we've read this morning. There's a reason why we read that for the remembrance of the law. And like I said earlier, if we preached another sermon on this text, we would be speaking about how to live out that love and follow those commandments. And certainly God calls us to study his word and to pray and to fight against sin. But if our lives reflect the spiraling treadmill that I described earlier, then something has to change. Because we are missing out on the profound goodness and joy that Jesus desires for us. And how do we get there? What do we do? How do we respond to our good weeks and our bad weeks? Do we just turn that frown upside down and try to stay positive? No. We abide. Or we remain. Or we return to make a home in Jesus' love. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, that is how I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
I love how the message says it in this particular verse when it says, I have loved you the way that my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 says it this way, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Jesus is saying in this passage a remarkable thing. That as God the Father has loved him in perfect, unfettered, committed, consistent, unbreakable love, that is exactly how he has loved us. And he wants us to make ourselves at home in this love, to become well acquainted with it, to become familiar with it, to have a growing sense of belonging in it. Are you at home in the love of God? Are you at home in the love of God? If we're honest, receiving love can be a very difficult thing for so many reasons in our lives and stories. And what could it look like for you to make a home in the perfect love of God? Jesus has already told us that he by his spirit abides in us. And that for all who look to him in meager faith, he has already made a home in us. He abides in us. And he calls us to abide in his love, to remain in his love, to go about our lives in his love. What kind of posture opens you up to receiving the love of God in Christ? Is it marked by striving and gripping or by slowing and opening? So often our attempts at obedience are devoid of joy because they are divorced from the love of God for us. Let me say that again. So often our attempts at obedience are devoid of joy because they are divorced from the love of God for us. The Bible does not see see keeping God's commands and living in his love as separate things at all. That's why in verse 10 it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And it's easy for us to read those verses and say, man, I knew they were connected. I knew I had to keep his commandments in order to stay in his love, but we miss that his commands and his love are inseparable in either direction. That is to say that we cannot keep his commandments truly unless we are abiding in his love. Beloved, there is no biblical vision of following God's commands apart from living in his love. Keeping his commandments apart from living in his love is not Christianity. It's moralism or legalism, but it is not Christianity, and it makes us joyless and depressed or joyless and self-righteous, but it does not grow us in the love of God. In Romans chapter 9, quoting from Isaiah, Paul writes, Those who are not my people, I will call my people, and her who is not my beloved, I will call my beloved. The name, the identity of God's people in the Bible is the beloved. 
Do you know that? Do you believe that that is true for you? It's significant that when Paul talks about how God's people were not his beloved, but now are his beloved, he is quoting from the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea is is this lived-out object lesson of the love of God. And in the story of Hosea, God told the prophet Hosea to go and marry an unfaithful woman that he knew would cheat on him again and again. And when she does cheat on you, God tells him, go again and love her. And he, does this, he gives this object lesson because he says, that is what my relationship is like with my people. I love them and I pursue them and they turn away from me and chase after other gods, but again I come after them. Again I come after you. And what do I call them? Failures, scum of the earth, the undeserving ones, the barely belonging to God ones? No. He calls them his beloved. No doubt God reveals our shortcomings to us. Christianity says that you cannot know God's love truly until you have seen that your heart and life have turned away from him, that you and I have sinned against him, that has done what is against his vision and relationship with him. We have fallen short of his goodness, and we have to begin to own that reality. But the beauty of the story that the Bible is telling is that because of Jesus, we are not marked as sinners and failures, but we are marked as his beloved. And Jesus shared the words about abiding on the very day of his betrayal. Because he abided perfectly in his Father's love and perfectly followed his Father's commands, he went to the cross to bear our failures and our shames and rose to give us perfect life so that you and I could be counted as blameless and as beloved. If you have never known the unfettered love of God, All that is required to know it is to confess your need for his mercy and to ask that Christ's life, death, and resurrection be counted as your own. I know that in our culture there are a lot of narratives about self-talk and seeing ourselves as the beloved. I've actually done a lot of yoga over the last few years And through doing a lot of yoga, I've especially heard a lot of these narratives. And I love doing yoga. I love going to yoga studios. Um, There's one actually just up the street that I go to sometimes. But what I often find in the narratives of self-talk and believing ourselves to be the beloved is that they very often don't deal with the true capacity that we have for failure. The true capacity that we have to think and do terrible things. It doesn't deal with how how we can relate to a God if he is perfect. It often just sort of feels like this idea of just focus on the good stuff. But the Christian story is not that. The Christian story stares our sin and our failure full in the face and sees a God who has done something about our guilt and our shame staring back at us. What if you're here this morning and you really struggle to believe God's love is for you. Well, first of all, I want to say, welcome to the club. 
I've struggled this, uh, with this throughout my life. Uh, it's an area where God has grown me significantly. But especially growing up as a kid and in high school and in college and in my early 20s, I deeply wrestled with the possibility that God's love could truly be for me, to open my hands and my heart to it. And part of how that played out in my own story was some early childhood experiences that I, that I internalized with a great deal of shame and an ensuing struggle with addiction to pornography that, that heaped shame upon that too, and I didn't believe that God's love could be for me. And if you're here this morning, whatever your story is, and you're struggling with God's love, I want to encourage you. First of all, I want to encourage you to talk about the things, the locus of the questions of, can God really love me if I'm this kind of person, or if I've experienced this, or if I've done this, to begin to talk about those things, because we need others. We need fellow beloved people who know Jesus' love to listen to us, to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus to say to us, I hear it, I see it, I hear you, I see you, and God's mercy and kindness is for that too. It's for you too. And I wanna challenge you this morning to pray for it, to pray for a heart to receive God's love and to let people speak God's love over you. And I want to also encourage you to something this morning that we don't talk about a lot in Western Christianity, but is so clearly biblical. And that is to meditate. And when I talk about this idea of meditation, you guys are like, well, you already talked about yoga. What's going on here? I don't simply mean the Eastern conception of clearing our mind or emptying our mind. But I mean the biblical conception of meditation that is to fill our mind and our hearts with the love of God. The Christian idea of meditation is to slow down and reflect on who God is and what he has done for us and on his love for us. If you've ever read through the Psalms, you know that meditation is in the Bible kind of a lot, and yet weirdly we don't talk about it or do it very much. Psalm 119, 148 says, My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Psalm 143, 5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. If you want a great example of meditation, I'd encourage you to take a look and spend some time in Psalm 77. And Asaph takes us through this process of meditation. And in that psalm, as Asaph Asaph meditates and he begins to name what he's struggling with and reflects on God's character and what God has done. He comes to a settled place of knowing that God has not forgotten him and that he is not beyond the reach of God's steadfast love. I think so often in our lives, our lives are like drought-stricken hearts that are dry and weary and cracked and in desperate need of soaking in God's love. And so often when we hear God's love spoken about, it feels like a heavy rain in the midst of a desert where the rain comes down and there's so much water and then most of it just washes away and like this much of it soaks in. Because what you and I need is not simply a heavy rain with our drought-stricken hearts. What we need is a slow, soaking rain so that it can begin to soak in and revive and renew and refresh our hearts. 
And that's what Jesus calls us to, as he calls us to abide in his love, to remain in his love, to make your home in his love. We can look at Jesus and see and be reminded of who God is to us, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, and through Christ, God for us. And as we meditate, we, not only clear, we, we don't simply clear our mind, but we fill our minds and our hearts with the work and love of God. So how do you evaluate your spiritual life? And how do you respond to the ways that you evaluate your spiritual life? Do you lose motivation or do you start striving? What marks your spiritual life? Guilt or shame, hope or disappointment or frustration. Certainly, we can recognize, especially as we start a new year, the areas where we need to grow in faithfulness. The kinds of spiritual disciplines we want to have in 2022, the ways we want to read the scripture or read other resources or pray, the ways that we want to fight habitual sins. We may find a renewed vigor in this new year, but beloved, as you do these things, please come home over and over and over again to the love of God. Abide in it. Romans says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. As you evaluate your spiritual life, I invite you to ask, how can I sit in the love of God more? How can I long for it more? How can I know it better? You see, the beauty of this way of life is that it takes our eyes more and more off of ourselves and what we have or haven't done, and it puts them more and more on Jesus to see the love that he has for us and to see what he has done. And beloved, therein lies joy. May it be made full in our hearts, in our lives. Let me pray for us that God would mature it in us even this morning. Father, we are grateful that you slow us down even as we start a new year. I confess that even two days into a new year, I already feel the striving, the anxieties, the insecurities, the overfocus on my failures. And yet, Jesus, you invite us into a new reality this morning. You invite us into your love. You invite us to make a home in it, to remain in it, to abide in it. Thank you, Jesus, that by your spirit you abide in us this morning. Lord, and for anyone who has not yet found a home in your love, would you open eyes to see that the door is open to come home to your love? And Lord, for those of us who have tasted of it and who know it but have wandered out again, would you bring us home? Would you show us, Lord, that here and here alone is the hope for living out the life that you have called us to, and here and here alone is the joy that you so desperately and deeply want for us. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for your love, your life, your death, your resurrection, and your presence. In Christ's name, amen.